Uh, yeah, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode two hundred and thirty-three. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my beautiful boys in LA, Jesse and Alex. Welcome, Mwah. gentlemen. Happy hello. New Year! Wap wap wap. That's us. You, we made it. How was your uh, New Year's, it's gentlemen? Did you do anything so fun and exciting? Tell me about it. It's fantastic. I went to Vancouver, Canada. Great time. Did you go I got to tell hunting? everybody. What's that? I was the hunt? big. I was the bigfoot. Everybody was hunting for me, man. Uh, <laughs> no, but we went down to a place called Gastown, and this was is perfect for Chiluminati. Actually, there was we were just walking up the street, and uh, Kelly and Amanda went across the street to like check out this pet psychic that was on the that like business that was a facade that was there, and it had like these really neat like. Um, Neon lights out front, like a like a occult eye and like a cat with a moon. This yeah. is really cool. I had, there was a few of these back in Rhode Island when I lived in Pawtucket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then like the door opened. They were taking pictures in front of the lights, and then the door opened and it was like bustling inside. It was like a speakeasy. <laughs> and inside it was like a 1930s occult, like Cthulhu themed, like French salon style bar and lounge called Pet Psychic. Okay, that's sick. It was so. It was so. It was so tight. That's so wild. You didn't, we just like. We just like opened the door and we were like, "Hello," and they were like, what? "You found us." And, and like we we were like, "Do you have a table?" And they were like, "We can squeeze you in if you're out by eight fifteen. But in fucking Canada, the sun goes down at like four thirty p.m. So it felt like it was the middle of the night at six p.m. And we were in there and it was awesome. Uh, there was like a tiki drink that came in a Cthulhu head. With dry ice in it that had like smoke coming out of the eyes. What the fuck? That sounds yeah. fucking sick. <laughs> I ordered. I ordered a. There was there was um, cocktails based on the higher uh, arcana of tarot, and every time you ordered one, it came with the card. I ordered the wheel of fortune, and the cocktail was roll for your alcohol and roll for your characteristic, and I got like a bold whiskey, and it like came that way. It was like the most stanky old fashioned I've ever had in my life. <laughs> that. Sounds like a lot of fun. I would do that drink simply because of the wheel, even if I don't don't like drinking anyway. That sounds like a good time. It was playing the sort of unlicensed horror music that we listen to a lot in uh, Scary Game Squad, like early <laughs> turn of the century style. You're gonna die. Yeah, 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 like stuff like that. And 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 it was like a combination of like people in cosplay from Gen X who like were waiting for this their whole lives to like finally have a place to like be this in reality, and an old man who was like literally no joke like oh i love this song when i was younger <laughs> chartreuse please <laughs> like like it was a it was a vibe that man haunted by the ghosts of the sea jesse what about you what'd you do dude i'm trying to remember what i've done i'll be honest uh i don't what did you do? what did you do for new year anything did you just hang I out i don't like no i didn't do anything i think i was in bed by 10 uh i woke up the next day and i like was like all right back on the grind I think I took exactly 48 hours of doing nothing. Hey, that's pretty good, though. And then I went I went to bed. Now, I would have gone out, but I then went to bed. <laughs> I noticed that. I noticed that was like a big, that, that was kind of like a vibe. Like, we're on the West Coast, so we have the last New Year's, uh, besides Hawaii, which shout outs to the, the homies in Hawaii, but like, in the, in the continental United States, we have the latest. And everybody's like, my mom and dad were like, we're doing mountain time new year so we can go to bed early or like we're doing New York new year. We're watching the New York one so we can go to bed early. And it's like, that's not new year's. You're just going to bed at 9 PM the night before 
New Year's. I don't know. Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't care. I went and I got like a good uh, New Year's Eve kind of like food outage. Food outage. That's right. Food outage. Food outage. Balto had to come bring you some fucking stew. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I needed help. I needed those dogs to come save me. Yeah. Uh, and then I like went home and was like. I don't what if instead of staying up I like slept bro and so I may have had an edible or three and then went to bed and it was great an edible or three will put you to bed for sure yeah it was lovely and then I woke up the next day and I was like ooh, I guess I'll go play a video game or oh, something and it was he great woke up a leprechaun uh. <laughs> saints preserve us yeah I didn't do jack for for new year I Same. didn't New Year, it's weird. I uh, I'll do stuff if people want to do stuff. It's just like my birthday. It's like every holiday. I don't care about any of them. I like, but if someone wants to do stuff, I'll do it. But like, it doesn't affect me. I like New Year's Day. It is probably because it is my mom's actual birthday. Which happy birthday, mom! But also, it is like the ultimate Sunday for some reason. I don't know why. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not really a holiday, but everybody's like, by the way, we don't open on New Year's Day. We're just. (laughs) Not doing anything on that day. That's our jammy day. So you guys understand. Sure. I remember like, like the decade of working of in restaurants. Working New yeah. Year's Day was basically taking a day off, but in the restaurant because there was yeah. really nobody coming in ever until way later. Like we never really slapped like a real tradition on that day. Like California, we got the Rose Parade and I think people watch that all over the world. But like there's not really a New Year's Day deal, but we all just kind of like do puzzles off, really shit. yeah i don't know it's tough. yeah i just i, I, I just know. smoked some weed and uh, i started playing through dragon's dogma again in preparation for Yo, the sequel next month so into free dude and uh, that game still free. absolutely holds the fuck up it's still got you know the combat in that game is just extremely great it's tight it's I, fun uh, i'm excited i'm excited for that entire entire sequel i have a list on my desktop right now of every game coming out to the end of march that i want to play and it's a lot it's a lot and i'm a little which worried. is uh if you haven't everybody go check out geek enders podcast jesse's new podcast oh, with dodger you dodger where you can hear him talk about video games and yeah, other i do, lo- I do love the games dodger. But i don't love the holidays dodger. you know she asked to come back and then trying to schedule her is like impossible uh, uh, she'll be back at some point. She was in England. Stop having, stop having kids. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah, don't back, have Dodger. children. Don't have children. And, and everybody's favorite, Crendor reached out to me the other day, wanting to come back on the show too. So he'll come be back. back he's just Crendor. Yeah, he's, he's exactly. Just he's just he's bored. like, he's just bored. come over here, Crendor. <laughs> what, wait, what is that? Is this because I went Dodger? Message Mathis back, Crendor. <laughs> Who are you? What you is... can always message me on patreoncom pod though. I'm so glad that you segued to that because it is such a good website, not just for reaching out to us if you want to be a guest host as a mutual, uh, but it's also a great place to go if you want to support the show that we put on uh, because that's the point of that website. And uh, honestly, if you do want to contact us, you know, our, you already know how we're, you're, we're mutuals. You probably have a phone number. So, you know, ma- I would hope so. Every, but in general, everybody else should go to patreon.com slash because separately it's a good website and if you go there not only does it keep our lights on but you get neat things in return like a digital version of a pbs tote bag like what you say ad free episodes minisodes rotten popcorn episodes bespoke art all kinds of shit all kinds of shit that we put on there 
You know, great stuff. And if you pay us $10,000, Jesse will sell his soul to you for one month's time. It's not worth much, but hey, $10,000 is $10,000, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I that'll, that, you know, that'll pay a good chunk. Of yeah, there's gotta be at least one, like, Coke time for irresponsible alive, decisions, right? rich people. Yeah, there's like one Coke brother there's alive. There's at least one Coke brother that could pay me to say some crazy shit. Come here, you Coke brother. Come here, <laughs> you Coke brother. Come here. Are we, are we hunting the warriors? Is that what's happening come right now? Why <laughs> Coke brothers, come here. The Warriors was one of those movies that I watched, and I am one of those. I was just—it was so boring. I was so what? bored. Yeah, you're Wait, like that kid who's like black and white. Ugh. No, no, that no, oh, it just didn't. I don't know. It was just boring. The Warriors. I maybe watched it when I was too young. I was like 17, 18. When I was when I worked at a video store for seven years, I heard a lot of opinions from normie bormies uh, about what they thought of movies, mm. and the worst like take. Like the most lazy worst take that anybody can have about a movie as as a as a cashier from Blockbuster Video is saying that the movie is fucking slow. Get the fuck out of here. What do you yeah, mean no. it's What do you mean it's, it's, just, slow? it's paced in a way that you don't like and that's okay. Yeah. I, I think Mathis, I don't think you could dig it. I I didn't dig when it. They asked, "Can you dig it?" You were like, well, "I don't think so." I played yeah. the Rockstar game though. That was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, the game's great. The game's yeah. fire. Game was good. Game was good. Uh, I also watched like "Thank You for Smoking" randomly, and I I didn't like that either. Are we just doing updates anyway, on like got, random movies? About, yeah, that no, we got to do an episode. <laughs> we just got to talk. We got now. Welcome to the new year, where the <laughs> podcast is totally changed into a "What are we doing in our daily lives?" podcast. Now it's uh, episode two hundred thirty-three, boys, and it's a brand new year. And I'm excited for this topic because I have been uh, wanting to cover and talk about covering this topic for a few years now. It uh, just ended up being, Alex, you can probably relate to this. It's one of those topics that there's no good, like, solid source. It's a lot of different sources with varying different stories on it all come together. That is why those listicles exist. Ticles. Yeah. That's why those listicles exist. Well, this is one of those. Dot com. Slash Patreon. Thank you to today's sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you know it by now, you're getting farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered directly to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and most importantly, affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit, duh. With the holidays officially over and resolutions in full swing, whether your resolution is to save money or eat better or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year. Yeah, you like that? That's the punniest line in the world. With fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Each HelloFresh box is packed with farm-fresh ingredients, and everything arrives pre-portioned right to your doorstep for less hassle and less wasted food. And if you're like me and are always kind of busy and don't like have a ton of time to just crank out a 45-minute meal, HelloFresh has you covered there too. All you gotta go to is HelloFresh's lineup of quick and easy meals, including their 15-minute recipes, designed to help minimize mealtime. It's delicious and it's fast and it's almost exclusively what I've been doing lately. This sounds good to you and it's something you want to at least give it a go. Head to HelloFresh.com slash chillfree and use code chillfree for free breakfast for life, which is my favorite meal of all time. One breakfast item per box while subscriptions is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash chillfree with code chillfree. Don't forget they're very important. Those two things are very, very important. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. America's number one meal kit. 
is one of those examples, one of those conspiracies, if you will, uh, that is kind of muddled in. There's a few strands of truth in there that we can pull on and we'll talk about, but it's hard to really pinpoint uh, if most of this is 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 uh, true. It likely is not. That in mind, we're going to be talking about the Philadelphia experiment today. Yay! What a big one. That is a big It's one that's been coming for a while. It's it's again, it's messy. There's really no good source other than the one book that was published by the guy who claims that this was a thing. Uh, as I always like to ask, though, you boys both know Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, this is the yeah. like, this is like the most losty mystery. This is like the most Dharma initiative shit. It's like dudes getting teleported into bulkheads. And yes, yep. squirming around and mis 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 executed teleportation experiments, yeah, right? Strong, not Penny's boat vibes. Something Montauk, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Something Nikola Tesla, correct, something correct. something, blah blah blah. And the thing with Nikola Tesla and von Neumann, which is who you're referring to, you know, two of them. Depending on who you talk to, they may or may not have been involved. But for the sake of today's story, and the sake of what seems to be the general consensus, they will be involved. So as we go through this, just understand this is my attempt at pulling a bunch of things together to create a cohesive narrative about something that is messy at best and absolutely fictional at worst, which is likely where it sits. But again, there are little nuggets of like actuality that kind of run through this, but we'll talk about it. You had you got Denver airported is what happened here. That's I, I you know it happens, tell. man. It's not the first time. Yeah. You know we've been I know in this exactly. now. You were like, this is going to be this is like a classic topic. Everybody always wants us to talk about this. I bet this is going to be so juicy. And then you found out the reality is that like we're going to cover this entire mystery in one episode, and everybody's going to think it's fake by the end. Oh, I, you are you are one hundred and ten percent correct. And this started like three weeks ago. And I'm like, this is taking so much longer yeah. than I thought yeah. it was going to go. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. Uh, yeah. So basically, with the Philadelphia experiment, the story goes that in the fall of 1943, in the bustling naval shipyards of Philadelphia, extraordinary scientific discoveries happened. The Eldridge becomes, uh, which is the ship's name, becomes enveloped in a strange green fog, and voila, it simply vanishes before your eyes only to reappear moments later, and then another attempt months after that that completely change our understanding of physics and reality. To understand, this ship is 300 feet long and a 1,200-ton ship. This thing is fucking huge. This is like a big metal American warship, like a big... And we're in the middle of World War II right now, fighting you know multiple fronts. Uh, this is like a big boy who's very you know- important. This just goes to show you, when it comes down to which of these fucking things are the ones that everybody loves to trade and talk about and get excited about, it's just all about showmanship. It's all about the coolness of the fucking setting. This is ins- already, this is riveting compared to half the stories we talk about in terms of like cinematic spectacle. Like, what are we talking about here? There's a movie based on this already. Yeah. It's called The Philadelphia Experiment. I think it's from 1984. I have not seen it. It just popped up in my research constantly. Um, Have you seen, speaking of, have you seen that? You guys are more movie buffs than I am. I know that it exists, but I have not watched it. Okay. It actually plays a role. The movie plays a role in the story. Uh, The actual movie plays a role in this. what do you... Oh no no no! no, no. Hold on to that question, Jesse. I can't answer you right now. Yeah, no, no. I get. I know what. I know what the show is. I'm just gonna. (laughs) (laughs) So we're gonna go ahead and navigate through the fog of conspiracy theories, eyewitness accounts, class of supposed classified information. Was it a military marvel, an elaborate hoax, something entirely different? And we'll figure it out as we go through the most tantalizing and mysterious stuff 
surrounding the Philadelphia experiment. In the U.S., we're going to start in the 1930s. And in the United States in the 1930s, this was a, it was a vibrant place of colliding contradictions. While people were suffering through the, going through the throes of the Great Depression, they were also, at the flip side, we're looking at people dancing to the rise of upbeat rhythms and swing and jazz at that time, too. So people are, you know, internally kind of sad, but externally, a lot of the art and the music is keeping people moving in a happy mood. And it was in this decade of weird hope and hardship that whispers supposedly began to stir in the scientific community, whispers about a theory that would change everything. At the heart of these whispers and murmurs were none, was none other than Albert Einstein himself, the father of relativity and the dude with the craziest hair in the whole wide world. This uh, Einstein at this point was already a legend for unraveling the mysteries of the universe, rumored to be working on something even more groundbreaking. And this is an actual theory. It's simply called the unified field theory. And this elusive theory, more enig- uh, very enig- enigmatic, you kind of compare it to Schrodinger's box, promised to marry gravity with electromagnetism, potentially unlocking the secrets of the cosmos. I don't want to be weird right now, but I do want to just highlight the similarity that this has to that sort of all one energy, gravity, manipulation, electromagnetic, alien, UFO technology. I'm already going to say, I'm going to take that and say, it's part of the episode, Alex. We'll get to that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> this, is, this is tied into uh, the UFO world, um, maybe even more so than just beyond the similarities in technology. Um, but yeah, there is that kind of feel of like weird, like everything's kind of related. And I'm going to try here. Uh, to give you like what this theory is in a way that hopefully like I got it right and maybe made sense. But basically, so Einstein, as far as we know, spent the latter part of his career working on this unified the field theory, aiming ideally to unify at least gravity and electromagnetism into a single framework. The idea is like, we know we can like get electricity from magnets or magnetism, but so he's trying to basically put an umbrella and say everything is related to everything. Like it's all one thing. Sure. But despite Einstein's efforts, as far as we know, he was never able to successfully uh, do so. And he never was able to develop a complete and working unified field theory. Uh, or again, or so they'd have you believe. The search for a unified field theory or a quote unquote theory of everything, as a lot of people, other, uh, other people call it, it continues to today be a major goal in physics. Modern approaches to this problem include string theory and loop quantum gravity, but as of now, a fully successful unification of all fundamental forces hasn't been done yet. We haven't gotten there. The quest for such a theory is one of the more ambitious and challenging uh, things to do in the field of theoretical physics. So this, this unified field of everything sits at the core of the Philadelphia experiment as a whole. And while the rest of the world was learning about the jitterbug, Einstein was allegedly deep in thought, his brainstorms perhaps as electric as the swings of band, swing bands of the era. Because all I can think about when you do swing dancing is like swinging the women from one hand to another. And that's all I can think of. Is that, so. is that how you see that? Yeah, swinging yeah. the women? Yeah, they like do a little spin and they're dressed, you know, and swinging the other side. Swinging the women. Swinging the women from one yeah. hand to another. Swinging the women. <laughs> that's how I think about it. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the unified field theory remained shrouded in mystery for him as it was never published or peer reviewed. But in the hush hush corners of supposed scientific gossip, it was said that the, this theory could do the impossible. Bend light in a way, uh, bend light through the manipulation of electromagnetic fields 
to be able to render something invisible to the naked eye. So cloaking technology, essentially. This ability to like, and I feel like that idea has been used in movies many, many, many times. Bending light? Yeah, bending light as a way to cloak the thing in front of uh, I don't even really understand how you bend light, to be honest. Well, that's why the theory hasn't really come to fruition. Yeah, I don't even, I can't, it's hard for me to conceive exactly of what it is to bend light. Well, we know Ben, we can like bend light just through like, uh, like a glass of water, for instance, right? Like that's an example of light kind of being bent and distorted. Right, but like other light just doesn't get bent, right? Like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, would it make you invisible to bend some of the light? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, if you could control the way the light is bending, I imagine, and, and which way it's refracting, uh, possibly. Yeah, but I don't yeah, know. I like, don't know. The real deal is this is like me just like stoner brain thinking about this, but like, it's exactly. just, I, I, I don't really understand. I always think about people saying bending light, and I never really understand what bending light means. I if you're of age in an illegal state, honestly, this is a great episode to just light one up, enjoy, throw on something, and just go for a fun fucking ride. And if you're a physicist, this is a great time to head over to uh, reddit.com slash chiluminati pod or chiluminati what is it r slash chiluminati pod yeah and uh illuminate me on what theoretically bending light could possibly mean that'd be great i would love you to explain how uh we did every, we got it all wrong <laughs> in, in a, just a simple in a simple way yeah that's all you lie five me that's all i'm I need. interested i'm interested in a so, simple way now I'm we're not fast smart. Forward. I'm not that smart. I know hey, you're I'm, very smart, Alex. Don't don't lie I'm anybody else. Sm- you know, I I'm 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 smart in other ways, mm. but not not about physics. Physics, I don't oh, have a okay. lot of intelligence about. All right. Well, we're gonna fast forward now out of the 1930s and into the 1940s, the early 1940s specifically. We're now in an area in a uh, an era where the world has turned a very dark corner with the onset and the thriving World War II. In the midst of this global turmoil, the U.S. Navy, it said, was pursuing a war strategy ripped straight from the pa- straight from the pages of a science fiction novel. And this, other than known being known as the Philadelphia Project, had a code name called Code Name Project Rainbow. And this ultra secret endeavor aimed to apply the principles of Einstein's theoretical musings to something startling, startlingly practical, and if successful, frighteningly powerful, cloaking a naval ship not just from radars but from just your very eyes disappearing in front of you. And by mid-1942, this project allegedly began to take shape in earnest. A man by the name of Dr. Franklin Reno, a name that would later be whispered in the same breath as the experiment, was rumored to have been brought in to turn this theory into reality. Reno's existence and role are as much a part of the mystery of the experiment itself, with little concrete evidence to confirm his part in any of the unfolding drama. Um, and just to give you a quick list of names of people who are supposedly heavily involved in this, obviously, Dr. Franklin Reno, we're looking at um, uh, Albert Einstein. We've also got Nikola Tesla was supposedly involved in this. Uh, Tesla was, if you didn't know, famed for his pioneering work in electricity and electromagnetism, sometimes said to have been involved in the initial phases of this experiment, according to some, because he was dead by the time this experiment was kind of happening. I think he had died by then. According to some versions of the story, Tesla was given the responsibility of applying his expertise in electromagnetism to achieve the goal of rendering the USS Eldridge invisible. However, Tesla died in January of 1943, and there are no reliable historical records linking to him to this supposed Philadelphia experiment. We also have involved John von Neumann, a renowned um, mathematician and physicist, Hungarian. Uh, He is also sometimes cited as a participant in the project. And this suggests that von Neumann continued the work after Tesla's death, 
applying his own expertise in quantum mechanics and computer science. Von Neumann's involvement is often mentioned in relation to the supposed bizarre effects on the crew members, like mental disorientation, the physical embeddedness of people within the ship itself, as these were thought to be the results of tampering with quantum realities. Just, again, to kind of wrap that in there. And then two other people that are going to be important to the story overall, a man by the name of Morris K. Jessup. This guy was an astronomer and self-proclaimed ufologist. Jessup is an important figure in the spread of the Philadelphia Experiment story, and we'll get to why later. But after receiving correspondence from a man by the name of Carlos Allende, he became one of the first to publicize the alleged events in his book, The Case for the UFO, which we will be referring to later. Then there is Carlos Miguel Allende. He's a somewhat kind of enigmatic figure. Allende also knows, well, we'll get to that in a minute. He's got another name he goes by is the person that's the most, most responsible <laughs> for publicizing the Philadelphia experiment. He claimed to have been a witness to the experiment while serving on the merchant ship SS Andrew Fursuth or Furuseth. His letters to uh, his letters to author Morris K. Jessup, the guy we just talked about in the 1950s, is what brought this story to the public eye. And this guy's name actually isn't Carlos Miguel Allende. His name is Carl Allen. Allende? He's a white Carl Allen. That he is... created this um, fictional oh. name for himself when he was writing uh, the, 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 the whole stuff involving the Philadelphia experiment. It's Carlos uh, Miguel Allende. And he's just and my the dad. The reason he ended up coming forward and, and you know, making it known he was, it was him um, is hilarious. And we'll talk about it at the end when we're kind of wrapping this up. It's just my the- dad walking into a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Uh, let me get a uh, dos enchiladas, por favor. <laughs> Agua con gas. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody out here in Texas too. Um, as 1942 eventually kind of gave way to 1943, we had a set stage for something potentially extraordinary. In the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, the USS Eldridge, a cannon-class destroyer escort, awaited its role in what would become one of the most tantalizing tales of military lore. The ship like a character out of a Houdini act, was being prepared for a performance that would baffle and bewilder, a vanishing act on an unprecedented scale. Now remember, we're right smack dab in the middle of World War II at this point and fighting a war on multiple fronts. Having the ability and technology to turn something invisible in front of your very eyes would have been groundbreaking and war-changing. And if this is all true, supposedly FDR, recognizing uh, recognizing how important this would be, this made the decision that this project was best used for the Navy, which is why it's the USS Eldridge that's doing this. It was the president's decision saying the Navy was just the most important part of this war at the moment. So uh, let's continue on now to January of 1943 and set the scene for the supposed events leading up to the infamous Philadelphia experiment. Um, now, remember, there's a lot of shit that's going to happen. So just try and follow. If you have any questions, I will happily <laughs> fucking clarify. Uh so in the throes of World War II, where apparently some folks in the Navy thought, let's, you know what, let's like just get an actual invisible shield. Uh, we begin in the early months. The Navy, in a stroke of genius or madness, depending on your viewpoint, decides to dabble in kind of like mystical scientific reality bending experiments. The USS Eldridge with the uh, number DE-173 uh, is the one chosen for this grand experiment. And if you ever wonder why. It's maybe nobody knows what their specific reason this specific ship was chosen for. It could just be random. It could have been for a reason we do not know. 
Uh, according to legend, the ship is then rigged with some serious hardware. We're talking generators, uh, Tesla coils, and other tech stuff that sounds straight out of like a freaking Star Trek convention. The goal of all this technology is to create a, an electric electromagnetic field so powerful on the ship that it would render the ship invisible to enemy radars and people's eyes to just warp with an electromagnetism, supposedly. So like radar cloaking. Yeah, radar, but also in front of oh, your and eyes. Oh, eyes, you're right, and both. eyes. Yep. How would that work, though? <laughs> magnets, dude. How do magnets work? Magnets. That's exactly what I'm work? saying. But like, what scientists would be like, you know what? Electromagnetism, if we do it enough, you just won't be able to see it. Like, that's not even how that works. It's the, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying it to apply the, the unified field theory. And I don't, I don't know how they're doing it. Technology is, is, is what. Like, my like I'm no, I'm no scientist who digs to the center of the earth to save the planet from uh, a not spinning core, but I'm pretty sure the entire plot of that movie is like, yeah, no, the entire planet's covered with an electromagnetic field and it prevents us from it like bends the light around you. The electromagnetic field bends the light around the ship, causing it to become invisible. Okay. All right. Thank you, that, Alex. That's the attitude we need here. I'm picturing a Klingon warbird. Just yes, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah Looking at uh, yeah. Well, not. I mean, Klingon, yeah, but it also it never the, works out well for them. A Romulan warbird. Romulan. They warbird always, they always end up getting their gas detected. Yeah. Like the tailpipe, and then they get blown up every time. It's true. Uh, well, we'll see what we'll see if this really works for them. I don't know. Maybe it will. If Picard maybe it was there. He would have seen through this whole thing. <laughs> I Dude, just are we talking Picard from any, TNG uh, though, or Picard from Picard? Same guy Picard from Picard. Same guy. He ain't gonna see shit. What do you mean? Same guy. He's busy well, dealing with the androids of androids. That and are he also is an android androids. now, but a flesh android that ages. Oh, shit. Apologies on. to Klingons and Romulans. I didn't mean to mistake you, you for each other. Space racist. In fairness, in fairness, neither of you exist. I mean, that is fair. You're going to get an angrily worded letter from the Klingon Empire, my friend. And I will not be able to read it, and I will not look it up. (laughs) They will be like, Kupla, bro, Kupla. (laughs) Kupla. So as we move through the winter of 1943 into the spring and summer, the thing is now fully decked out, and rumors are beginning to swirl around the naval yard like crazy. Whispers of weird experiments, mysterious unknown scientists, and Einstein's secret recipes for bending reality. The sailors look at the Eldridge with a mix of curiosity and maybe even relief that they're not part of that ship. How much crew. time is this are we talking about? So the when we talked about them decking the ship out was the beginning of January 1943. Now we're looking at about mm, J- July is when the first test, I believe, happens. How close is this to like the general public? Uh, they're gonna well, they're decking it out in the general public, but the general public doesn't know what it's being decked out for, which is why the rumors begin. They see scientists, but the green and, gas and all that happens. No, that doesn't right. happen yet. That, okay. that happened. They're not gonna do it like in the the freaking shore. They're gonna take the boat out, out, okay. and then do it. All right. Um. So the the brains behind this operation are said to be, like I said, some of the most crazy, brilliant scientists of our of that time. Um, and you trying to turn Einstein's unified field theory into reality. Uh, and so we finally move into now October. So October 1943, January to October 1st. This rolls around and it's time for the first attempt. The stage is set. The Eldridge is ready. Totally decked out in weird tech. And the Navy's top brass are probably rubbing their hands together in excited anticipation. The experiment begins with a simple flick of a switch. After they take the boat out, 
and for or uh and that or like I, we imagine a flick of a switch but as a moment happens you hear the crackle of electricity a weird bizarre uh, scene unfolds in front of you the eldridge is then engulfed in a weird greenish fog then as if by magic or questionable science it simply vanishes for a few moments only to reappear right where it was a couple seconds later witnesses that got to see this reportedly saw the ship materialize out of thin air and a be but beyond a few of the crew members feeling a little nauseous afterward nothing of note seemed to cause any issues in essence a success if a shortly lived one as it only was a couple seconds but it happened they, they did it they made it work so they decided to bring the, sh- the ship back on shore and spend the next few months putting more technology on the ship they put in more Tesla coils and other technology that bends electromagnetism and prepared ideally for another attempt a few months later that would work. Wait, so was there any science in the like number or were they just like more? More, Jesse. More. They were like, well, we got it for a few seconds. So if we just if put there was more numbers, Tesla coils on it, uh, he didn't we were going to be gone know. for like a minute, bro. It's just not, you know, maybe maybe they burned the files. We just don't have them. We only have eyewitness accounts, supposedly. I would just love to know what the, you know, there's got to be some sort of science here where they were just like, all right, we'll put two more on, see what happens. And then we'll do three. <laughs> or just some guy like, all of them, gentlemen, all of them. Like, that seems crazy to me. No wonder people is in, in bulkheads and stuff, according to the story. Well, now they're going to actually attempt this again. In July. It's like a Godzilla movie type guy pushing them, right? Like, you know yeah, that's about? what I imagined. Like, just, and, uh, just do it. And also, I want to point out that we also mentioned, uh, if you remember, the Greenstone part three, part one. Yeah, uh, I do not know. Which was like a underwhelming uh, UFO story that Jesse didn't like very much. Do you remember that? I don't remember <laughs> any of that. No. Uh, I don't know if Jesse liked any of the Greenstone very much. <clears throat> I, I think he has a fondness for it that he can't. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I like to think that somewhere in there. Anyway, there's a uh, uh, the sto- story uh, is about they're driving and they have like a UFO encounter and what appears around them as the as the UFO part of the encounter occurs is like a rolling like, you know, yes, I remember this yep. six foot high green fog. And if you're thinking about it from the point of view of like why an alien would do that and you know now that that might be residue from electromagnetism bending light to create invisibility from outside maybe there's something there just well drawing parallels then you're gonna need to help me explain this because a few months later after they decked it out with more technology it was time once again it was time once again to give the big old red button another push and see what happened but instead of green fog appearing and creeping in this time the ship simply vanished in a bright flash of blue light just gone they went too far they did too much like like nothing there or like yep like nothing there because this time it's gone the ship didn't reappear at least not where it originally vanished from instead it appeared 400 miles away in norfolk virginia it just fucking absolutely just moved 400 miles. And so kind of like antibiotics, instead of discovering what they were intending to discover, they accidentally discovered teleportation instead. It appeared on land? Uh, no, near it in the water. Oh, shit. Okay. Success? Maybe? Question mark. Um, 
as it teleported there, it would only sit in the water out there for a few moments before in another flash of blue light, just as mysteriously as it appeared in Norfolk, the Eldridge zips back to Philadelphia, where it originally departed from. The ship reemerges in another wondrous flash of blue light, but it's not quite the same. Something is askew, not just with the ship itself, but also the crew who are beginning to experience their own personal hells the moment they return back to Philadelphia. But there we have the two experiments, the journey from January to October and October to July, giving those experiments and what ended up happening. But the side effects of the Philadelphia experiment are perhaps why this story is known as well as it is. It's where the line between science fiction and really fucking bad, terrible day gets blurred. And uh, let's take a look at some of the post-experiment world of the USS Eldridge and its crew that sounds horrifying. And first, we'll just start with the ship. What ended up happening to the ship after this? Well, there was what was kind of like I kind of called just teleportation tarnish. The USS Eldridge, after its alleged jaunt to Norfolk and back, wasn't just your average ship anymore. It supposedly traveled through space and maybe time. And they ended up coming back with a weird like rust and wear and tear that it didn't have departing. Um, then the ship itself became a legend, an unwitting celebrity in naval circles and conspiracy theories. It kind of turned into a weird version of like naval Bigfoot. Supposedly every once in a while, somebody can see the Eldridge kind of pop into existence and then disappear again even though that doesn't make any sense unless it was, I mean, times where, eh, whatever. Then you got the, the, the magnetism stuff with the post experiment. The Eldridge supposedly had residual magnetic fields. Compasses would go haywire near it. The electronic equipment would just act up. It's basically like it was just frying a ton of different uh, electronics that are just for uh, what it went through. Um, Then you, then supposedly the Eldridge was also said to be shrouded in an eerie glow afterward adding to its bizarre aura as like a weird ghost ship in a way. Uh, and just all the like, time. Yeah. Just kind of like glowed all the time. Very dully. Anybody take a picture? No, not just like, no, 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 no. Like temperature changes. As far as I know, I mean, um, a picture, a photograph. Oh no. Why would you have that? It's the forties. It would just be black and white anyway. It glowed, but it was glowing. The you whole ship was glowing. It was a super secret, top secret, super project. It was glowing and it. rusted. That certainly is in dry dock. Thing that I would, Love in Norfolk, see. Virginia, or in Philadelphia? No, Philadelphia. After it returned, that's a big. There's a lot of people in that city. I mean, hey, man, I, ha- I don't know what to tell you. I only know what the re- the facts are, and I'm telling you the facts. All right, uh, facts. Fair hold enough. on, hold on. Purported facts. Hey, facts are facts, man. I can't argue with the facts. Yeah, exactly. You can't argue with facts. <laughs> facts uh, are facts. Can't argue with the facts, few, baby. A few other things: the electrical equipment for then on, like just around the ship, just behave erratically. Even after like the the breaking aspect of it passed, there was always this like electronic equipment didn't always operate quite right in there. Um, and then you've got the uh, magnetic disturbances, as I said earlier. But also, it was supposedly like would draw in metal objects, like an actual magnet. The ship started like pulling in metallic objects to the ship. It had like almost its own gravitational Like a car pull. or like somebody's No, like we're talking piece. smaller things, like small things. And it was not like it was stuck permanently. You could pick it up and pull it off the ship. It just had a weird like magnetic like property. Yeah, okay. property to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the real horror wasn't really what happened to the ship. It was what happened supposedly to the crew or a long list of things that happened to the, this poor fucking crew uh, if this, you know, actually happened. So let's let's talk a few of them. 
first you got your basic stuff. Uh, things like your physical ailments, you're talking nausea, uh, uh, intense nausea, vertigo, headaches, a condition known as quote unquote molecular distortion where the body's very structure felt misaligned or out of sync. Uh, (laughs) then some people were supposedly developed a weird relationship with, with electromagnetic fields. They would suffer shocks when touching metal objects or electronic devices would malfunction or behave erratically in their presence. So they just were like the anti anti technology supervillain. Anything near them breaks. They couldn't use it. Um, Then you have the more, the weirder things that we'll talk about. Uh, But last we have psychological trauma, you know, mental toll was taken on the crew. Many of those involved were said to have suffered severe psychological disturbances including acute anxiety, debilitating paranoia, and hallucinations. The trauma was reportedly so intense that some were said to have been institutionalized, while others supposedly vanished and were quietly discharged under mysterious circumstances. Do we have any stories of their accounts of what happened? Yes, we will get to that. Thank God. All <laughs> oh right, that's what I care God. about. That's what I, I want to know what happened when they look. Give me, make, bring this to life for me, please. Yeah, <laughs> I want to know what, like, when they went through the looking glass, what happened. Oh, dude, see, you are, bro. you are wanna, not ready for the, for the actual first. I am so hand. ready. So that's all I want. Narration of a man whose whose leg is still stuck in a bulkhead. Yeah. <laughs> then you have the invisibility, the invisibility after effects for some sailors. Some of them allegedly continue to experience bouts of invisibility long after the experiment. They would just vanish from people's sight. Uh, they were random, uncontrollable, leading to terrifying moments where individuals would simply phase out of visible existence, sometimes just partially, sometimes entirely. No pictures of this. Ma- huh? No pictures of this, though. They phase out of existence. Yeah, what you, you can take this partially. Can you pick up a fucking cup? No, that Hold takes it? too long. No. It's vampire rules, dude. Get dressed. Yeah. get them. Yeah. All right. Sorry. No, All you right. can't do that. Then right. you got the Did people clothes who become responded. invisible when you touch them. <laughs> then you have the other people who become invisible instead of with respond- you. <laughs> How's, yeah, how does that work? When you're dressed, what? how do you? What happens? Like if your if, if your clothes weren't on the Philadelphia, I mean on the Eldridge. Well, so the way I imagine it, if we're going to take this question seriously, is if you're radiating your own electromagnetic field, you're bending light around you accidentally, so you'd be bending so light around the clothing as well. Disappear. And so if you were inside holding something, even if it's a cup, I imagine that would vanish as well. All right. Well, the science checks out. Thank you very yeah, much. Checks out. They got us. If you're not one of the ones spontaneously be going invisible, maybe you're one of the ones that got spontaneous phasing. This is this phenomenon where crew members would suddenly and inexplicably phase through solid objects. Like Shadow Un- Cat. Like, oh yeah, like my Shadow Cat, exactly. No, Un- Shadow Cat from the X-Men. Oh, or my Shadow Ghost same Cat. Guy, yeah, house. same guy, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Kitty Pryde. <laughs> uh, they were unable to control it. She had a dragon. That's true. She did. <laughs> Um, they were, they were unable to control it and they were harrowing accounts of sailors who got stuck in their own walls and floors, uh, at home and like horribly, horribly like fucking injured and shit, like just absolutely displacing themselves. That's fu- what the fuck is that? But the ones who walked out with physical, psychological or like random phasing like problems are the ones that got, were fucking lucky. Cause then you had the people who, after it's returned to Philadelphia were physically melded on a molecular level to the ship itself. One of the most grotesque and frequently cited side effects was uh, the supposed fusion of sailors to the ship's bulkhead. Like imagine crew members becoming unintentionally part of its structure. They were supposedly screaming like, like in utter pain and horror. 
The bodies were completely fused with the steel, arms emerging from bulkheads, faces embedded in the deck, a surreal and like kind of ghastly human ship amalgamation. They oh, did man. not. They we should died. take a picture of this, man. This is <laughs> fucked up. No pictures this, were taken. This is unbelievable. I don't think you should, man. No. Plausible deniability. We can't like let those guys suffer. You're right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> USA. I, if you uh, need if you need to understand why they didn't do this, why they didn't take photos, just go watch the Star Trek episode where the A plot is data having sex and the B plot is people getting stuck in the bulkheads. Remember that that happened. They cared more one, about baby. data getting banged than people like stuck in the ship. So obviously, yeah, honestly, you might that's be right, a one to one translation. A robot was getting fucked somewhere. And also, let me let me remind yeah. you, technology kind of fried in the presence of the ship, so it was hard to get pictures of anything because the camera would break. Oh, duh! Did Sorry, anyone draw I, anything? Maybe. Did they? Uh, did they cut one of the guys out of the bulkhead and like no. sort of wheel the bulkhead down the street? With Not him that we're aware. Like, of I got a story to tell. Did anybody ever uh, like <laughs> go to the newspaper? Like, my daddy is a wall. <laughs> uh, then we have people who were burning from the inside i gotta just keep going i gotta keep going <laughs> from the inside Holy yeah dude shit. so according to some accounts they were basically uh, sailors would feel something like internal burning and they learned that their very cells were overheating and undergoing some form of weird radiation poisoning that led to extreme discomfort in some extremely rare cases spontaneous combustion baby so they got so supercharged they just blew up they, yeah, instead of going Super Saiyan God, they just exploded. Any record of that in any newspaper? These guys blowing up? There are records of people who have spontaneous combustion. I mean, I know that there are records of a few people who have spontaneously combusted, Could ben, but Could have ben any of them coincidentally been crew members of the Eldritch? Uh, you know, maybe. It is not known. If you don't have proof that they weren't part of the Eldritch, they could have been. Hey, mm-hmm. facts are facts. <laughs> facts are exactly thank you facts are facts uh then you have the people whose psychological trauma was so bad their entire sense of self that disintegrated they uh had no no grip on reality unable to discern between past and present hallucinations were so intense and uh they experienced severe disassociation uh from themselves and they were so shattered from they were simply just their psyche had become shattered from this then you had phantom sensations on limbs for some people some of the most bizarre effects or reports of phantom sensations on limbs. Sailors who were merged with the ship's hull would feel as if their trapped limbs were still free, experiencing a haunting, haunting disconnection between their physical and sensory realities. Uh, and then there's people who just temporally looped, expanding on the time displacement aspect. Some, out, some accounts suggest that crew members got caught in a short, repetitive time loop. Imagine experiencing the same moment, almost like a Groundhog Day scenario, over and over and over and over unable to break free of that moment so you're sitting next to this guy what are we looking at here and i just like like a skipping record you know he's stuck in that one place Wait, what, what, what? yep like that wait, wait hold on but like what does that mean <laughs> it sounded like emperor palpatine electrocuting luke skywalker on the deck of the death star too bye yeah <laughs> wait hold on so so it's not that wait so are they experiencing a time frame over and over again or is it is it like they're re- just re- trapped re- in re- one second mix, like i don't know okay it's All never right. specified I mean, at least that's honest i it's don't know it's not yeah, specified 
I don't know. It is not Wait, known. Can you read it again? What does it say? Yeah, I got to scroll back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, some accounts suggest that crew members got caught in short, repetitive time loops. So experience, they say, imagine experiencing the same moment over and over, unable to break free from an endless temporal cycle, a phenomenon that not only disorients, but also traps the individual in a slice of time. So sounds like they get stuck in a moment of time. They oh. themselves are so there. So maybe nobody else is being able to see it. Okay, maybe they're okay. just sitting I was there having like, breakfast, and then all of a sudden, like I'm like one halfway through a spoonful of chili, and then I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm back! Oh my god, thank God, I was stuck eating that fucking chili for 15 years." <laughs> oh god, oh that'd be awful. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Um, would you recognize it though? That's the thing. I mean, if I'm you're at, trapped ooh, in that moment question. in time. Would you recognize it? In fact, if you were trapped in a moment in time right now, if this podcast went on forever, would we recognize it? No, I, we wouldn't. I've thought that thought many a time. <laughs> like, have you, did I just blow my own mind with your mind? <laughs> I kind of, it's the idea of like t- time is a flat circle. Maybe we've just done this infinitely and we wouldn't, we've never known the same episode over and over again. I still over and over and over. This is it. This is Damn. where we live in it's eternity, dude. And spiral. then there were other people who literally just became like frozen, like almost like statues. Still, they would just be frozen, stuck mid-sentence, mid-movement, and just stuck there, apparently aware of their uh, situation and their surroundings, but unable to move That's until what their bodies, like, smoke, release uh, fake themselves. Weed. I'm, is that what happens when you smoke fake weed? I remember there used to be, like, you'd become, like, a zombie. Like, you just smoke, and then you, like, are out there on the street just, like, <laughs> What is what? fake weed? Can you explain to what me what, what makes the fake weed fake? Once upon a time, in a land long, long, in a time long past, you could not get weed legally from yeah, the state yeah, of California. And in those times, people would smoke fake weed that was unregulated and unlicensed. What, and does, s- that, what does that mean? It was like fake- a weed substitute. It was like, you know, impossible like salvia? weed. Yeah, no, it wasn't salvia, but it was like some kind of chemical shit. It was like, you know, meatless meat. It was like not weed, but it had the effects of weed. But it was unregulated, <laughs> and people would just get like whacked out on it and like, just m- march around on the street, freeze in the, on the sidewalk and shit. It was fucked up. Don't s- smoke that shit. Just wait till you can get weed somewhere legally. Please. Sounds terrible. I don't like it at all. Like you don't have to. You don't even have to do weed, y'all. You don't have to. You can just like hang with your friends and get high on life, dude. It's chill. You won't turn into a zombie that way unless your friend's a zombie, in which case you're a zombie. So those are the two full experiments, uh, the attempts that we know of. I believe at that point they decided mm, this isn't working. We got to stop this because they fucked up a ton of different people's lives in multiple different ways. Uh, and any known ex- uh, further experiments are not really documented if they happened, obviously, at all. We have a few eyewitness accounts, which we're going to get to in a moment. But also we talked about how this is tied directly in a way to the UFO stuff. And that's what we're going to kind of jump into now. The primary connection between the Philadelphia experiment and UFOs can be traced back to the man I mentioned earlier, the author Morris K. Jessup. Jessup, an astronomer and early UFO researcher, wrote the book The Case for the UFO in 1955, which discussed unidentified flying objects and their potential propulsion systems. After the publication of this book, Jessup received correspondence from a man by the name of Carlos Miguel Allende, who claimed to have witnessed the Philadelphia experiment and provided a detailed account 
of the event. Allende's letters to Jessup introduced the notion that the technologies supposedly tested in the Philadelphia experiment, like invisibility and teleportation, could be related to the advanced propulsion systems of UFOs. This idea suggests that That's either what I'm talking extraterrestri- about baby, <laughs> this is all from Cario- Carlos Allende, aka Carl Allen, aka the Zodiac Killer. What's his name? Arthur Allen, Arthur Lee Allen. This idea suggested that either extraterrestrials had shared such technology with humans, or that humans had independently developed technology similar to that used by UFOs. The co- connection was then further solidified when Jessup was contacted, and this is true by the Office of Naval Naval Research, the ONR, about a copy of the case of the UFO that had been annotated by unknown individuals and left for uh, this the ONR, uh, this guy to find. These annotations contained references to the Philadelphia experiment and further linked it to alien technologies and UFOs. Again, it's annotated by people that are unknown. Like so he reaches out to the author of this book to see if he knows maybe who annotated it and whatnot, and he has no idea. This annotated version became known as the Varro edition, V-A-R-O. You can actually get a copy of like, I think it's the original Varro edition or one of the OG Varro editions from back then for $7,500. I looked, it's expensive. Um, this this Varro edition, this book is kind of like a key document in a lot of people's ufo conspiracy theories intertwining the philadelphia experiment with like extraterrestrial lore but those people are utterly wrong and it is and the book is not to be trusted as it is presented and we're going to talk about why as we continue over the years as the story of the philadelphia experiment grew and morphed within the ufo conspiracy theory communities it became part of a larger narrative that includes government cover-ups advanced technology and alien encounters This narrative suggests that the experiment was either an attempt to harness alien tech or that it inadvertently attracted the attention of extraterrestrials. Again, this is also a time where UFOs are starting to become much more widespread. And in a few years, the, you know, the, the Roswell uh, crash would happen. In the twisting saga of this Philadelphia's nonsense, the ONR enters this picture, uh, enters the picture in a chapter that's as intriguing as it is kind of unusual, involving a peculiar version of the book by Morris K. Jessup. Um, so this is where Carlos Miguel Allende kind of comes in and becomes a bigger player, uh, about the, through all of this. How long is all this after the initial event? Uh, this is in, um, 1950, we're 1957. This is happening. Um, and the event, the experiment took place in 1943. So over a decade later, uh, like 13 years after the supposed is when stuff finally started to come out is what you're saying. Yeah. This is where it supposedly, like the the Philadelphia experiment was, I think maybe like a rumor or maybe just like a story. It's here in 1957 with this book that we get a lot of what we know today, and where like a solid quote unquote like the crystallization of it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like we have a physical version of it with the notes you can read. The, the memes notes. is yeah matured, ready for harvest. So, so just for timeline's sake, yeah, yeah, please, please for timeline's sake, because you were talking about Roswell, it would be like. After Roswell. This event took place before Roswell, but the information publicly put out was after Roswell. Actually, so, like a decade after a Roswell. A decade almost after Roswell. You are correct. Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. Dead on. Dead on. Uh, so Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, which just delved into the mysteries of UFOs on their own and their possible propulsions for technologies. It's kind of a book where he's just trying to like 
figure out what technology would work to, to explain the way these UFOs are moving because we can't explain it. Uh, and while seemingly unrelated to the naval experiments in Project Philadelphia, uh, or ex, uh, Philadelphia experiment rather, it would soon become a pivotal link in the tale of the Philadelphia experiment. And that's where Carlos Miguel Allende, also known as Carl M. Allen, steps in, who was a mysterious figure who had claimed to have witnessed the bizarre events of the Philadelphia experiment firsthand. Allende reached out to Jessup with a series of letters, like I mentioned earlier, detailing this account of the experiment. He described how the USS Eldridge was rendered invisible, teleported, suggested connections to ET technology, and Jessup's interest was piqued, but the story was still far, far, far from the public eye. And that's when the plot thickened in 1957, when the ONR received a strange package. It was a copy of Jessup's book, but this wasn't just a normal edition of the book. The book had been extensively annotated by an unknown individual or individuals. These annotations weren't mere musings, but they were detailed discussions on the Philadelphia experiment, linking it to alien tech and expanding on the ideas Jessup had explored in his book that were simply referring to UFOs. This annotated volume, like I said, became known as the Varro edition, named after the Varro manufacturing company that later printed copies of this text, and was a bizarre amalgam of Jessup's original work and these mysterious external insights. The ONR's involvement was primarily due to their interest in these annotations, which were unusual in their depth and scope. The annotations discussed not only the Philadelphia experiment in detail, but also a range of esoteric topics, including anti-gravity and UFOs. So the ONR, intrigued by this unsolicited and cryptic manuscript dropped at the doorstep, decided to contact the author of the book, Jessup. And this contact between the ONR and Jessup lent an air of legitimacy, at least at first, uh, to the, the at least official interest in this stuff and added that, that kind of uh, legitimacy to the Philadelphia experiment. And it suggested that perhaps there was more to this tale than mere conspiracy theory and science fiction. Maybe there's something at the root of this that's true. The ONR's role in this narrative, while largely that of a curious observer, helped cement the Philadelphia experiment in the annals of paranormal and unexplained phenomenon. Thus, the ONR, through its incidental connection to Jessup in the enigmatic annotated edition of his book, became part of the story as a whole. The thing is, when Jessup was called in to talk about uh, talk with the o, uh, ONR about his book, he was handed the book that was annotated by these mysterious people. And Jessup, immediately upon getting grabbing the book and seeing it, recognized the handwriting of the book because he had been getting letters from Carlos M. Allende oh my for God. years, and it was the exact same handwriting. This guy is like the the page master of this. Yeah, so it's all Allende. Allende's been like sending letters this is off. His baby. To, yeah, yeah, he, and just had no point. idea. Um, and this, uh, so you know, and and these notes were originally kind of referred to as annotations by Mister A, Mister B, and Jemmy, uh, G E M I. Um, but the, the, he realized, cause the, the thing is with Carlos, if you look at his handwriting and you can go look at it, the man capitalizes randomly. He misspells a lot of things. It's really hard to tell like if this is one person or if it could be multiple people. Um, but the, uh, the thing is, uh, Jessup recognized it instantly and realized that these notations were from, um, from Allende. However, hoping to push the, uh, 
process of having the government investigate UFOs on an actual real scale, he never originally admitted to him that he knew where those annotations came from. And Jessup himself went along with the lie for a bit that he didn't know who these annotations were from. Mm. Um, so then uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened in terms of uh, having Carlos or Carl come forward and reveal who he actually is. Because like I said, the book with annotations started getting printed known as the Varro edition by the manufacturing group Varro. And it was all like, you know, just copied uh, of his annotations just on the book. And somebody was making money. And Carlos Allende wasn't making any of it because he hadn't come forward to claim that it was him who wrote it. And when when the book started selling and doing well and making like, you know, making it into like UFO meetings and stuff, the dude was like, I need to make this money. So he came forward, was like, I wrote it. It's not, you know, it's not a, a mysterious man. It's me. I'm Carl Allen, baby, not Carlos M. Allende. And also it wasn't anonymous. I did it. But shortly after he admitted to doing it, he saw how quick the books were popping off because people believed them. So he quickly retracted all of that. He was like, just kidding. I didn't do the annotations. It's all real. It's like, you know, go buy the books. I just wanted credit. It's not me. Well, I imagining making a deal in the back end with the book people to get paid for it. Um, all while Jessup himself uh, started struggling heavily. He wasn't making a lot of money. It wasn't like, uh, and, and he was, um, in 1959, basically, only two years after this book was released, he ended up killing him. Uh, Jessup killing, uh, killed himself. He locked himself in a car, you know, sealed the windows, fed carbon monoxide into his uh, window, and he committed suicide. Um, and the reason, so that's a, taking on sur- on surface level, uh, just like uh, at surface value, people immediately tied that to the the Philadelphia experiment and leaking all these things, and the government quote unquote suicided Jessup, and it became another like spoke in the wheel that supported the Philadelphia experiment as an actual thing. When in reality, Jessup, the astronomer and early UFO researcher. Had other factors that might have been that might have played into his decision. This just never would have happened if there was internet, basically. Ex- yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> he was facing significant professional challenges because he was such a UFO guy. Um, and despite his early promise as an astronomer, he struggled to gain academic recognition and was not affiliated with any major institution. His focus on UFOs was considered fringe science and marginalized him in the scientific community pretty heavily. And he faced financial difficulties because of that, uh, which added to his stress. And he also became increasingly disillusioned with the UFO community, uh, especially after learning this mysterious annotations were from somebody he knew. He was frustrated by what he saw as a, le- a lack of serious scientific inquiry, which is why he went along with the lie, hoping that they would put money into it if they believed that these people writing annotations were maybe like secret people with information. Um, but he also had just personal issues in his life, which may have contributed to his distress. He had gone through a divorce. There were reports, many reports of him experiencing depression. Uh, it wasn't a, like a sudden thing, like the conspiracy people would like to have you believe. Um, it was very much, you know, he was a very depressed individual, and it, it just kind of sucks that that happened that way. Regardless, though, his book the, on all this stuff invariably were now tied to the Philadelphia experiment. So, Let's talk now about an eyewitness account 
Jesse's yes. been wanting this. So let's talk about the Give best eyewitness account of this that we have. And so, so, so just detailed. before we do this, before we jump into eyewitness accounts, what you've just said is that all of the stuff from the 50s is bullshit. That's only if you have a closed third That's eye. If yeah, if your third eye is glued well, shut. I, I, I just want to be I just want to be you gotta be like here. Doctor Strange opening his time stone, but for your third eye. A arm. lot of what was the truth was actually just dude making it up. Maybe because this eyewitness isn't Carl Allen. This facts are a, facts, baby. This is a different eyewitness. Okay, okay. Oh, no, I'm here for this. I want this is the stuff I'm here for. Now let's talk about who this guy is. So it's important to note that uh this this ended up being a little bit later than 1957. Um while the factors mentioned above provide some context to like what happened uh, with Jesse uh, with Jessup, by the way, like his state of mind and time and death. I just want to make sure you like understand the man was having troubles. This he didn't fucking kill himself. Sure, because sure. The, the Philadelphia experiment jumped out there. Right. So now we're going to fast forward from 1957 to the 1980s, boys. We're now in the 80s. Things are great. The economy feels good, even though it's on a downward trajectory that would reach its actual like manifestation in the late 90s. Everybody's having a great time. Uh, it's a good time in the 80s. And so comes a man by the name of Al Bilek. Bilek, rather. So Bilek. Why does that sound familiar to me? Maybe, listen to the story. Maybe it'll ring a bell. Maybe it'll ring a bell. All right. Long after the Philadelphia experiment supposedly had taken place in 1943. Long after the book that talked about UFOs and had annotations about the Philadelphia experiment in 1957. Now in the 1980s, a man by the name of Al Bilek stepped into the limelight to claim his slice of fame. He came forward with an astonishing claim. Not only had he personally been involved and seen in the Philadelphia experiment, but he also had an incredibly story that linked it to other secretive government projects and firsthand account. Of time travel experience. My man just went for it. He went My man for just it. threw the football as hard and as far as he could. God bless him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's really, <clears throat> this guy was like, you know what? This is, uh, this is important. I need to talk about this. Now, you might be wondering, how come he only came through in the 1980s? Well, as I said earlier, the movie played a pretty big role in this, right? He was watching the 1984 film, The Philadelphia Experiment, in the movie, in a bizarre way, unlocked forgotten memories in Al Bilek's mind. As he was watching the movie, he had revelation after revelation, memory after memory of the, the hell that he went through serving aboard the USS Eldridge, uh, Eldridge and the horrifying things that happened to him from it happening. It stirred his memory, boys, because the movie... It, it, like, woke him up? Yeah, the movie, like, woke him up, really. It was like, oh, shit, he remembered. He was like, wait, I saw that. That actually happened to me. Yes, yes. And his brother. All right. All right. His brother had the worst outcome. We'll talk about it. So according to Bile, All right. his involvement in the Philadelphia Experiment, also known as Project Rainbow, was as a crew member of the USS Eldridge. He claimed that the objective of the project was to render the ship invisible to radar using technology derived from the theoretical work of Nikola Tesla and others. Now, it's important to know, Bilek was lucky enough to be sat down by Einstein himself and be taught personally his theories and why he believed them to be real and true. Isn't that pretty cool? 
I'm here for he, it. He got to sit down and have lunch with, with, with Einstein multiple times and was taught all of Einstein's stuff. And then he saw that movie and he was like, I remember that happened. Oh, yeah. I, I had lunch with Einstein. That's he right. He also met Nikola Tesla and before he died and von Neumann. Whoa. Bialik didn't just describe the experiments in technical terms. He narrated a story that was nothing short of insane science fiction. He alleged that during the experiment, something went dramatically wrong. And instead of simple radar invisibility, the USS Eldridge supposedly achieved physical invisibility, phasing in and out of existence in itself. This, Bilek claimed, resulted in catastrophic consequences for the crew, with some of the men becoming fused to ship structures, you know, like yeah, stuff we've already heard of. Bilek's story then takes an even more fantastical turn as he links the Philadelphia experiment to another alleged secret project by the government known as the Montauk Project. Do you know the Montauk Project? I know that it has to do with Nikola Tesla. And that it the was Montauk like- Project is what Stranger Things is based on. Yeah, okay, but it, it does... Like the underground, it, like I know Russian the tower. Experiment. I know there's like a tower that was like on top of a building. Or yeah, we'll, we will do a Montauk Project episode. I so, cannot... So what's the, what's the one with the hats and the cats? And they kept trying to like... The cat and the hat? That. Remember, like, uh, he kept trying to like... Yeah. Teleport the hats? Yeah, and, 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 uh, and uh, Nikola Tesla was like... <laughs> I know what you're doing and I'm here for it. Please continue. Please. I see it in your eyes. This is a goof. This is a good goof. Don't let me down. He's still laughing too hard. Change it. <laughs> all right. That's yes. all I got. That is, that is for movie that. fans out there. No spoilers. I'm not going to spoil that. Do you know what movie that is, Mathis? No. It's The Prestige. I haven't Have seen it. Have you ever seen it? So, no. You've never seen the God. I want to watch the Prestige with of you. all the movies that you're surprised I haven't seen. The Prestige is one. Dude, That's wait so till you up see your it. Alley. Wait till you see it. Let's 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 hang out and watch it. That's a good one. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, this, I'm down. I'll, when I when I visit next time, we'll we'll watch something. According to Bilek, when the USS Eldridge reappeared after vanishing from the bright blue light, and but not in Norfolk, Virginia, somewhere in between, he and his brother and Duncan Cameron immediately jumped off the ship before it vanished again and teleported to, we assume, Virginia and then back to Philadelphia like originally. Except he wasn't in 1943 any longer. Not only had the ship teleported, it had time hopped. And now they were in the year 1983. But not 1983 as we know it. A branched timeline of sorts, if we uh, use MCU terminology here, and it was a darker timeline where some sort of str- catastrophic event had happened. San Francisco was leveled and TVs were flat. I'm sorry, what? TVs were flat. What do you mean TVs were flat? He woke up in a hospital uh, at one point and TVs, he saw that TVs were flat. Like he woke up to flat screen televisions? Uh, yep, in 1983. No. So San Francisco was destroyed, but we got flat screen televisions yeah, uh, yeah, like two decades earlier? earlier? Yeah, yeah. From that, so he, ju- yeah, exactly. Yep. It's like and the butterfly everything effect? was destroyed. Yeah. Cool. So he predicted flat screen TVs. Maybe he did go to the future. Huh? TVs Evidence. Are Evidence. TVs are flat, man. I mean, TVs are flat. That's crazy. That's how you know he was in the future. Come on. Your mind, TVs are flat, bro. <laughs> uh, but he wasn't going to be stuck here forever, boys. Al would find a way out. Uh, how long was he stuck there? Well, okay. Is, are you really Let's, stuck when TVs are flat? 
I mean, true, right? Aren't you in a good place? So, so here's the thing. Duncan and Al both jumped off member brothers. They suffered different issues. They both were lost their lock in time, their place in the time stream. And, uh, for, for Bilek, that meant kind of feeling sick. He really wasn't able to, like, he was disoriented, and he eventually passed out and found his way. And when he woke up, he was in a hospital, which is when he realized he was in, like, a wasted a cityscape and, you know, TVs were flat. His brother, on the other Wait, hand... So he went from the East Coast to the West Coast as well? Yeah, teleported. Like, teleported, time-jumped, everything. Okay. But you, you know what happened to his brother, Duncan? He didn't have such, like uh, like, light side effects. He had time displacement to the point of every hour was a full year of aging for him and he died <laughs> and then he woke up and it had only been one day he lived a whole life but don't worry because the montauk project was also happening here as well and they just, uh, they they met up and, and went and met up with al bilik and brought him in he began to work with the montauk project to get him back to his appropriate time but the montauk project also was going to fix the error of his brother's dying see the montauk project took a couple of people that were working on the project and sent them back in time to 1950 where their job was to find their father and tell them to he needs to have another child because he already had his two kids his son and his brother, Duncan, and he needed to have another child. They convinced him to do so. He banged out another child, and the Montauk Project banged out soul. another child? Yep, and took the soul of his dead brother and placed the soul of his dead brother in the now newborn child, therefore that just ensuring like the same brother. Duncan gets to have a life through a different baby, but remember, it's kind of like a different timeline. Instead of like a soul. What this was the has process? lost all credibility for me. I don't know. I don't know what they used. I don't know what kind of technology they need to. This is like a, a lifetime. And, this is like a lifetime t- time travel movie plot. Yeah, I don't you know, know why they didn't he, just go back in time and like push Duncan off the ship before the ship teleported the first time. Like, but they went back and convinced my his dad. expectations. Mathis were we were about to hear about like a guy who was in the military and he was on the ship when it all went down. And like people around him are getting like, he's seeing crazy stuff and like time and space is coming before him. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. And I had to like fight and struggle to like come back whole. It was the craziest shit I've ever seen. And what you gave us was like land of the lost. <laughs> like some dude just like, I want like the time traveler's wife. I saw the soul of my brother. It's like 11, 22, 63. Well, there are other accounts that what happened to his brother wasn't that he aged for every hour and died. Instead, Duncan got lost in time and kept time slipping like Loki in season two. He just kept slipping to different parts of time and they had to like time hunt him and find him and take him and pull him out of time and put him back in his right full time in 1957. I mean, 1943. So you can choose which one, which one do you want? You get to pick which one of your reality. They both is. suck. Here's the problem. They both suck. They're both. I wish you could outlandish. see this show. Cause you, so you could see the look of like sheer confusion that just washed across me and Jesse, like in a shockwave. In two parts of town at the same time. Like, all I wanted was the cool version of this where it's like the movie version where a dude is sh- was seeing all the crazy stuff happen. And he's like, he made it out and he's fine. But like, oh, my God, you should have seen what was going on. That's what I wanted. Instead, you were like, yes, he's still in game today. Yeah. <laughs> like the version <laughs> that isn't the insane made up version. It's not insane and made up. The people who went back and put the soul back in, they were called time engineers okay all right cool that's a real role so cool yep. <laughs> cool eventually 
Bilik would, with the assistance of Project Montauk, would make his way back to his appropriate time on the original timeline, because all good vacations have to come to an end, I guess. And uh, he re-enters the 20th century, memory wiped, ready to live a normal and happy life until the fateful evening where he viewed the 1984 film, The Philadelphia Project. And it all came back. It all came back. You can't permanently wipe a man's memory. It'll come back. Have we ever had an episode about like how we really need to deal with the mental health issues of this country? And like, <laughs> we need to just be better as a people. Americans? People better. You mean we're like yeah. a, like a, like a global disgrace kind of vibe? Yeah. 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 Kind of like we really let these people down. The obvious vibes, villains you know? of reality. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Mm, I feel mm. like just something. It's almost every episode just reminds me a little bit more. I'm like, you know, I feel like mm. we let these people down in some way, but you know, all right. yeah, sure, time travel, education, yeah, right. Me, I mean, if we're able to teleport a ship, we're just his like his brother's soul was put in another body that not identical <laughs> twin, just another body that that many years later happened to look like the exactly same exactly like him, exactly <laughs> like because that's how genetics works, exactly like him. It's a plug and play scenario, like Legos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's ex- time is like Legos doesn't really matter as long as they it would have made more sense if he was like i went to the future and then and and i took my dead brother and cloned him or put him in one of those like what is the crazy people on the internet talk about med beds one of those we should do an episode of med beds by the way that's loony stuff like put him in one of the sarcophaguses from stargate and he was fine <laughs> they had one of those in the future like couldn't he could have just said that and everyone would be like yeah all right that makes way more cool. sense than we extracted his soul and then went to the past, convinced my dad to bang out another kid. Which he banged out. Quick snap. And then that kid who we grew up with, because in the timeline, they would have grown up with him. Yep. But then they replaced the kids. So that is a brother they knew that they got rid of to then bring <laughs> the other brother back to life. That's insane. But let me say this. Would <laughs> somebody who's lying come up with a lie so crazy when they could come up with something so simple as a med bed? Touche. Touche. Honestly, there you go. Uh, you can't really go back on that. According to Bilek, he was involved with multiple future experiments in the future of 1983, uh, none of which make any sense. And But eventually, through those experiments, they were able to return him back to 1943, where he was taken from and given uh, back to his life through government manipulation. That's how his memory was wiped, he says. It was government manipulation to, rep- to repress said memories. The only other like quote unquote firsthand witness we have is a man who actually did serve on the USS Eldridge. This is what I'm here for. And his firsthand event is interesting in that there isn't one. Uh, He says that what he said, what he, if this, he goes, if any of this is true, they may have been um, testing new radar cloaking technology on the ship in some fashion. Um, but beyond that, he did not confirm any of the bizarre, weird shit that happened. Only that they maybe were testing some sort of experimental radar cloaking device on the ship that he wasn't fully aware of. And that's the story of the Ugh. Philadelphia experiment. And that's, it. that's where it ends. That's the most, that's literally all of it. That's, it. that's all there is on this. And could you believe there's a huge number of people out there who still think this is true? Why? It's crazy because it's like, when are you guys going to do the Philadelphia experiment? When are we going to finally find out? 
And that's clearly somebody who's read like a one sentence synopsis of the Philadelphia experience. Yeah, yeah. Because the moment you look at, I've tried to do this episode several times myself. It's impossible. It's just, yeah, it's just impossible. I, good on you for finding all this shit because damn, this is, this did not happen. Now, it, you like it took and I, I left out a lot like because there's a lot of information that just simply contradicts with one another. This is my best kind of like put together timeline of the best and like most quote unquote credible things yeah. out there that at least come from some person. And, you know, we're doing our diligence. We're like we're like paying homage to this legend. We're doing the the, the service of actually investigating it and finding after doing that, that, that it's more myth than truth. Right. So what's in, wrong with that? I want to check out that old ass book, the case of the UFO, even with the, it's interesting to look at the uh, annotations that were in there anyway, because it's just fascinating what he was writing down, but uh, that's it. The Philadelphia experiment is done. We don't ever have to come back. There's nothing else to come back to. Uh, it was a fun time. It's a wild little story that has I just, I just need to add this because yeah. I had I had I'm curious to look what you're going to add because I'm I'm curious what I what I cut. Um. Well, so I I wanted to look up an idea of just. So what do people think? Because you were saying you know like this is it was hard to find information on it was mm-hmm. hard to do write an article about and I was like there's got to be a solid wiki the wiki is not solid no no the, the wiki Wikipedia is not solid is, at all it sucks <laughs> but it does link to a 1980 article. From Fate, I assume Fate magazine in 1980. I yeah, I imagine. And in it, it literally says, uh, and I just wanted to just read this last bit because it is so good. Uh, because it goes to what you guys are saying. Various book writers who have tried to get more information on Carl Allen found his responses elusive, or they couldn't find him at all. One reporter from Allen's hometown of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, interviewed his family and was handed a pile of documents and books, all scribbled with Allen's annotations. They described Allen as a fantastic mind, but also a drifter and master leg pooler. You never want to be referred to as a drifter or a master leg puller. I mean, it depends on one thing. (laughs) Even the people doing book research on this. We're just like, there's nothing here. No. Which says a lot about this. It's like, if anything, this goes to it's like American what people folklore. are willing to believe and completely overlook. Because it just sounds cool. It it's sounds like Johnny cool. Appleseed vibes. It's like, you know, yeah. fucking Babe the Big Blue Ox shit. It's not, there's yeah. nothing. Like, what we're saying about just being like, who took a picture of this? Like, how come nobody spoke about this? The ship was glowing and nobody took a picture? That alone is enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep, agreed. It's it's fascinating, and like you said, yeah. The minute you start to try to dig deeper, it just becomes a sea of messy fucking nonsense. Yeah, that not like it's so hard to just like trace a timeline where yeah, and how exactly. it the went. story is on a surface level very cool. Like on a let's that's how I was like, oh, I want to hear what's going on in the ship. Like it makes for a good story and a horror story as well, which people yeah. love. And so you combine it all together, and it's like sci-fi and weird, and who knows. It is the exact same vibe as, except it, that's terrifying. But it's the exact same vibe as watching like um, any sort of like sci-fi space event horizon-y style movie where you're just like, what the hell am I watching? That's what I imagine that story is. And the minute you dig beneath the surface, you're like, oh, there's nothing exciting here. It's all rather depressing that people really buy into this existing because it, it really doesn't. 
No, it doesn't. I mean, the guy came forward and said it was me who did it and then retracted it as quickly as he fucking could because <laughs> he was like, oh, money. <laughs> like, this is one of the few situations where you can actually see somebody who was like, money, I'll change my what I'm doing specifically because they're selling books with my shit in it. Um, yeah, it's wild. So I'm glad it was done. I'm a super fun topic. It's been one on the, on the radar for a while. Knock that sucker out. Uh, and that's it for the episode. So thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with a brand new one, but we're going to go off to go do a mini sode for patreon.com slash Illuminati pod oh, video yeah. version of the $20 tier audio version of the 50. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and I'm going to leave you a little tidbit. We might be doing uh, a little teaser for some merch. Uh, a new Mothman run might be in the works for the plush. Is this the teaser of now? Mothman? Of Mothman. Um, there'll be some changes to him, his design. We'll see. We might see some color changes for fun. Uh, but we might have a new run of the Mothman plush because people have been asking all for it a lot. So we, uh, we're going to try and get that going for you. All oh, right. Thank yeah. you. All yeah, right. yeah. Thank you guys so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. 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 Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out of here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. 